In recent months and years, it seems as if our interactions with our neighbors have been coarsening and uncivil, and so therefore Joe and Katie and I, since Easter, have been preaching this sermon series called Image of God, in which we are trying to keep our interactions civil and remind ourselves that we both are and must see the image of God in ourselves and each other. And so today, a story about finding God, even in the image of God, even in fractured relationships. This wonderful story from Genesis. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you, Uncle Laban, for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days. So great was Jacob's love for Rachel. And then he said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob went in to her. And behold, when morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the older. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other daughter also in turn for serving for another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed his seven years. And so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He served Laban for another seven years. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you are of a certain age, you might remember the influential 1979 movie Kramer vs. Kramer with Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep playing a married couple going through a bitter divorce. And the film was filmed partly in an actual courtroom with an actual court reporter sitting behind her stenography equipment recording the proceedings. And Mr. Hoffman got interested in her life, and during a break in filming, he walked up to her and said, so, this is what you do, divorces? And she said, well, I did for a long time, but I had to quit. I was burned out. It was just so painful. And then she visibly brightened, and she said, but I love what I do now. And Mr. Hoffman asked, so what do you do now? And she said, homicides. So this is a sermon about being the image of God toward and seeing the image of God in those who have disappointed us or whom we have disappointed, which might be even harder, right? Now, the Christian church has never been very good about serving its divorced people, right? So in some corners of the church's existence, divorced people are censured or shunned. Perhaps you have been following the story of the prominent Southern Baptist preacher, Paige Patterson. A woman came to the Reverend Patterson and said, I'm thinking of leaving my husband. And he said to her, it's your duty to stay with him. A couple of weeks later, she came to church with two black eyes. And she said to him, I hope you're happy now. And he said, well, yes, I am happy because I noticed your husband accompanied you to church this morning after a long absence. Even the Southern Baptists didn't care much for that remark. 
few years ago, Pope John II told Roman Catholic lawyers that they should never accept divorce cases. Lawyers must always decline to use their professional skills for ends that are contrary to justice, like divorce. Caroline Call is a United Church of Christ pastor who was surprised to find herself divorced after seven years of marriage to another ordained Christian pastor. And she speaks of how unhelpful the church was to her during her trauma. And she points out how good the church is at dealing with death, right? We are always so caring to our widows and widowers. I've never heard a widow or a widower complain about the church's service after they've lost their lifelong love. They always rave about the care this congregation, almost every congregation, gives to those who have suffered grief like that. But it's different with divorce because we know who's the victim in death, right? We're not sure who's the victim in a divorce. And so we've never been very good at that and we've relinquished an opportunity to care for a sizable minority of the American population. The good news, of course, is that divorce rates are falling, have been for 20 years, but the bad news is that they're still right under 50%, about half of all marriages end in divorce. 41% of first marriages, 60% of second marriages, and 74% of third marriages end in divorce. So here are some things you can do to maximize your chances of being married till death do you part. You can try to come from a family where the parents are happily married. Your chances have just improved 14%. You can go to college. Your chances have just improved 13%. You can wait till you're 25 to get married. Your chances have improved 40%. Don't live together before you get married. Cohabitation increases the chance of divorce by 40%. You can become a Democrat. There are more divorces in red states than in blue states. Choose your religion carefully. The divorce rate is highest among Baptists and lowest among atheists. There's this wonderful story in Genesis about someone who is surprised by the person he wakes up with. Some background, of course. You remember that Jacob is the Bible's trickster. His spirit animal would be a raven or a coyote. Jacob, you will remember, conned his older brother Esau out of Esau's rightful inheritance and then to top it off, deceived his blind, aged father to boot. And the family's so furious that Jacob has to flee far from home, so he ends up in his mother's hometown, a long way from where Esau and Isaac are living. And on the outskirts of town, he stops at a well for a drink. And the first person he meets in this town is his cousin Rachel. And Jacob is instantly smitten. Now, Jacob and Rachel have never laid laid eyes on each other before, but that does not stop Jacob from kissing her and then instantly bursting into tears. Now, the word kiss appears in the Bible 47 times. Twice it occurs between two women. 30 times between two men. Outside of the Song of Songs, which is essentially a collection of love letters between two besotted teenagers, this is the only time that a man kisses a woman in the Bible, Jacob and Rachel. One Old Testament scholar said that Rachel is the most loved woman in the whole Bible. Presumably this includes even Mother Mary. 
So Jacob makes a deal with Rachel's father. Laban is actually Jacob's uncle. I'll work for you for seven years for your daughter's hand in marriage, he says. And the Bible tells us that those seven years felt like a few days. So great was Jacob's love for Rachel. Now, Rachel has an older sister named Leah, and the Bible leads us to believe that she is not quite as attractive as Rachel. At the end of seven years, Jacob claims his bride, and so the festivities are staged. The bride is veiled. It is dark. Everybody has had a lot to drink. The bride and the groom retreat to the bridal chamber to consummate the marriage, and then this most wonderful line. The Bible has this inimitably droll sense of humor. The next morning, behold, it was Leah. Or, oh wow, it's Leah. So it turns out, of course, that Jacob's uncle Laban has pulled a fast one on his nephew. The trickster has been tricked. Uncle Laban wants to marry off his older daughter Leah before the younger daughter Rachel. So either at the wedding, at the altar, or in the bedchamber, Leah steps in where Rachel belongs. Behold, it was Leah. So this event where a person is surprised when he finds out the identity of his bedmate is a common plot device in literature across the ages. It appears in Chaucer and Boccaccio, King Arthur and Hercules, were both, according to those respective myths, sired by fathers pretending to be somebody else when those children were conceived. It appears in three of Shakespeare's plays. And the wonderful thing about Shakespeare is that although almost everywhere in literature the bed trick is used to deceive or to harm a bedfellow, the bard always uses it for benevolent purposes. Shakespeare always uses the bed trick to get the lovers who belong together, together. The lovers who want to be together. The lovers who have been promised to each other. And I love this story so much because it's a common human experience, yes? Even comprehensive. Almost universal. Many of us wake up next to someone we didn't think we'd fallen asleep with. The night before. We went to bed with Rachel and woke up with Leah. We go to bed with Jacob, the forefather of a great tribe, and wake up the next morning with a fraud. She thought she'd married Prince Charming, but it turns out Prince Charming doesn't exist. He thought she'd be a wonderful mother, but it turns out she'd rather do almost anything than change diapers or play shoots and ladders with a five-year-old. She thought he would be a brilliant entrepreneur, but he struggles to find professional success no matter how hard he works. He thought she would love him to the last of all his days, but then you wake up one morning and you're both 60 years old, the passion is gone, the romance has fled, your marriage has turned into a business partnership. Even in the happiest of relationships, right, we all wake up next to someone we didn't expect to wake up with? Because we all change and grow, right? It would be terrible if we didn't change and grow and wake up next to someone we hadn't met yet. 
Usually we change for the better, but sometimes not so much. We grow apart. So maybe marriage shipwrecks on the hidden shoal of excessive expectation. Or maybe just because that marriage, like every other one, is between two flawed human beings. And maybe there are no villains, right? Maybe it's not his fault, it's not her fault. I love the phrase failed marriage because it places the blame where it belongs. Maybe husband and wife are working furiously to make their relationship a success and a reward, but it just doesn't work. And so it's not they who fail, but the marriage who fails them. We put the blame where it belongs. Now, this isn't always the case, right? Sometimes there is abuse or neglect or indifference or narcissism or infidelity. Do you know what the number one cause for divorce has been in the last 14 years? And by putting it that way, 14 years, I've just given you the right answer. Facebook. It's middle-aged married people reconnecting with high school flames. Facebook is cited in one-third of the divorces today. But sometimes we just make a mistake, right? We just choose badly. You know, <laughs> for heaven's sake, most of us had no idea what we were doing or who we would become when we made this everlasting, infrangible commitment, right? I was 23 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer, by the way. It's a miracle it worked out. But sometimes after waking up with Leah, we get a second chance at love. We work seven more years and then Rachel. It's not an entirely happy story, especially for Leah. But between them, Rachel and Leah become the matriarchal progenitors of the 12 tribes of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor brothers. You get a second chance at love. A long time ago when I was serving another church, I had the chance to marry the daughter of my friends. And at the rehearsal, the mother of the bride was sitting right there in her obligatory spot in the front pew on the aisle, and she's just weeping copiously. And it made me a little nervous because this was just the rehearsal. What was going to happen <laughs> at the ceremony? But she sat me at her table at the rehearsal dinner and I said, are you okay, Jan? And she said, yeah, 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 it's just my husband. I said, oh, I'm sorry to intrude. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm so happy for my daughter and her lover. I just want them to have what we have. I've been married for 20 years, and he still amazes me. In 28 years, I've never for one day taken him for granted. So here is a woman who goes to bed with a person she thinks of as Thomas. And 28 years later, she wakes up, and behold, it's Tom, way past her expectations. Someone better than she'd ever dared to dream. And so if you can say that after a long relationship, congratulations. But don't be so smug about it. You are probably more lucky in love than skilled at it. Yes? 
you are probably just the recipient of the unmerited grace of the great giver. And if it hasn't worked out quite that way for you, be kind to your partner and to yourself because everyone we meet is fighting a great battle and we're all children of God, even those who have surprised or disappointed us and whom we have surprised or disappointed. More than children of God, the very likeness of the Almighty, the image of the one who fires the burning suns and spins the flying planets. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.